0: If you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus 20. If you don't have a Bible, we're only going to do about five words tonight. So you can probably follow along without actually having a Bible. But I would encourage you to bring your Bibles because um, in RUF, we believe that it's important that we dig into the Word. And so we're going to be doing that. And let's see here. I have this. We are going to be doing the Ten Commandments. This fall, and that might seem like a strange thing. I want to tell you a little bit about why we're going to do the Ten Commandments, why we think that would be a good thing to spend a whole semester looking at, and we actually are going to talk about the Ten Commandments and what they teach us about true community and how true community can flourish. And um, I need to tell you, I guess, a little bit about my my background. I've been working here now with students at Belmont for 12 years, but before that, you know, I was a musician. That's how I got to Nashville. Um, Before that, uh, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I guess it was probably around ninth grade that I became a Christian. I had attended a church, um, but had never heard of the idea of actually having a personal relationship with Jesus and um, being connected to him by faith. That wasn't really part of what I had known about. About ninth grade is when I began to understand that. Um, And I remember pretty soon after I became a Christian, I latched on to Ephesians 5.18 is my very favorite verse. I'm curious if anybody knows Ephesians 5.18. It's kind of a strange verse to be your favorite verse. It says, Do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you might think, that's a strange verse to have as your favorite verse, the first verse you ever memorized in the Bible. And I'll tell you, it is a strange verse to have. You may think, well, maybe he was, you know, uh, kind of a budding charismatic, and that it, it, he liked the second half of it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. We should all like that. Um, but I will tell you, no, as a matter of fact, my mom had gotten converted through the charismatic movement, and I was pretty freaked out by that whole thing. Um, I'm less freaked out now, um, though I, you know, I'd have some theological differences with that movement. But that wasn't why I liked that verse. As a matter of fact, I didn't really, I, for me, that would have been fine if it be filled with the Holy Spirit wasn't even part of that verse. I like the do not get drunk with wine. The reason I like do not get drunk with wine was not because I was a recovering alcoholic and I needed that verse to remind me of the demands of the Christian life. So, you, you know, that would, be, I guess, be an appropriate reason for really trying to hold on to that verse. It's something. This is when, when sort of insanity is trying to take over me again. This is reality. This is my touchstone. God says this is what I was made for. That, that's completely appropriate, but that wasn't why I like that verse. The reason I like that verse is because I wanted a club to beat up my Christian friends who went to drinking parties. That was a very helpful verse for me to feel better than other people, especially people that I thought were my friends that never invited me to drinking parties. And, you know, the Ten Commandments can work that way, too. There's a lot of of people that don't like the Ten Commandments because they've been used as a club to beat them up both in the church and outside the church. And there's a lot of people who like to study the Ten Commandments and maybe think, oh man, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to learn why all those people outside of the kind of people who would come to RUF are wrong. And I'm going to have better ammunition for being able to both feel good about myself and look down upon other people. Well, that's not why we're going to study the Ten Commandments. It's not what the Ten Commandments are about. I guess by the time I went to college, I discovered grace, or more, actually more accurately, I guess, grace discovered me. I began to realize that you know, what made me a Christian was not that I was doing things that other people that thought they were Christians weren't doing. Does that make sense? In other words, I realized that the law, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, were not there in the Bible so that I could have something to measure myself against and feel better than other people. Now, at this point, you know, when I was in high school, I surely wasn't measuring myself up against God and his holiness, but I was very good at measuring myself against other people, particularly the things that I had no real problem with, like dating non-Christians and getting invited to drinking parties because nobody wanted to date me, and I wasn't getting invited to parties. (laughs) So, you see, it's really easy to say that's the mark of righteousness. If you're a real Christian, you won't do those things, right? It's easy. We all do this. Maybe for you all it's something different. Um, maybe it's not being a geek like I was in high school and you feel really good about that, I don't know. Um, but the thing is, I went to college and began to understand, okay, the Ten Commandments are not about that. God does not give us his law so that we can feel better than other people. I began to understand, no, he gives us the law, one of the reasons he gives us the law is to show us that we can't possibly be good enough to earn his righteousness or to earn his smile, to earn his, his favor, to even have a relationship with him that was broken by our selfishness and going our own way. We can't make up for that by all of a sudden deciding, well, I'm going to start doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do and get back in God's good graces. The Ten Commandments were not given for that reason, and they don't work that way today. I began to understand that in college. Good. began a little later to understand that the Ten Commandments, you know, starts with this little prologue, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. I am the Lord your God. It says... The Lord spoke all these words: I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And I began to realize, oh, th- that's important to understanding the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given by God, who had just delivered His people from slavery. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to think of the Ten Commandments as God's plan for putting them back into slavery. I began to understand that you no, know, the one who made me, is the one who gave the law. That there's a correlation between the creator and the lawgiver and that the law actually shows me what I was made for. That was a pretty big step in college, to begin to understand that. And it really turned upside down my understanding of the Christian life. That the law is not something to be afraid of. It actually shows me, it shows me certainly what I was made for, which has a negative effect at first, right? Of saying, well, that's not who I am. What am I going to do? But then I, I, it it shows me Jesus, who did live the law, and, 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 and took the penalty that he didn't deserve for sinners, right? It show, you, you, probably a lot of you have heard this basic story, so let me get to where I'm going. I, I, I think that was a, a very helpful kind of stage in my journey, but then, it was really this summer, I was actually all set to preach on the seven deadly sins, well, we might still do that sometime. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I was just not getting real jazzed about it, and... I have a, a group I meet with on Tuesday mornings of some other guys. Some of them have been friends of mine for a long time. some of them are newer friends. And we've been going through a book together and we got to a section in this book that was talking about the Ten Commandments as the conditions for community. And it just stopped me dead. I realized, okay, I think it was a pretty major insight you know that I, that I got somewhere along the way, that the, that the Ten Commandments are not about slavery, but they're about freedom. Because you know there, there's this verse, you know, in the book of James? I don't know if you've ever read this book, but, but in James it says that the law is the perfect law of freedom. And I don't know about, about you, but for a long time that seemed like it didn't make any sense at all. How could the law be the perfect law of freedom? Probably a lot of you have not experienced Christianity as freedom. Just a wild guess. But, but I, I suspect I'm right, because I've like I I worked with Belmont students a long time. I know the kinds of things that are taught in evangelical churches. And generally, people don't regard the law as the perfect law of freedom that brings freedom and life. But indeed, that's what the Bible says it is. And so that was, that was big. But what I've come to understand recently is that God gives the Ten Commandments twice. Do you know this? If I ask you where in the Bible the Ten Commandments are, the first place, you, hopefully you might know, is in Exodus chapter 20. And that's interesting in itself, why it's in you know, chapter 20 of Exodus and not earlier in the book. And we're going to talk about that next week. Um, that there is a context to the story of when the 10 commandments are given that's really important but the first the first giving is there in Exodus 20 the second giving is in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and the important thing about that Deuteronomy 5 Deuteronomy is a book where Moses kind of looks back over 40 years of Israel's wandering around in the desert and he decides to preach one last sermon before they go into the promised land they're going to go into the promised land without him and God tells him right at as these people are about to go into the Promised Land, hey, all this stuff you've been pouring into them for 40 years, they're going to give it all up. They're going to fall into, you know, the grossest kind of sin and idolatry. And, And Moses is like, okay. He gives them the Ten Commandments one more time in Deuteronomy 5 to say this is how you need to live if you would have any hope of being a true community a true countercultural community in the midst of all these other nations in the Promised Land. You see, the important thing about that is to understand that this is God's instructions for how a people should be formed to live together in a way that can actually influence the world around them, which is a good reason for us to study it in RUF, because this is such an important time for your life, for you to make commitments and to come to understand what your life is going to be about? Are you going to understand that my you know, participation in a religious group like RUF or participation in a church is just kind of another thing to add on to my resume, just another thing to fill up my schedule? Or are you going to be shaped in such a way that you understand that God's calling on our lives, God's calling on your life, is to be part of a countercultural revolution called the kingdom of God that's on the move? Will we be part of it? And if we do want to be part of it, what's that going to look like? And see, here's the great thing. God doesn't just leave us wondering, what kind of community should we be? He tells us, you should be the kind of community where your words really matter. You should be the kind of community where sexual purity is guarded. You should be the kind of community where you're not lusting after other people's stuff. You should be the kind of community that honors those in authority. You don't idolize them, but you honor them. We're going to talk about that. We're going to flesh out the Ten Commandments, particularly as it relates to community. And it's so important that we do that because I will tell you, I don't have to tell you, community is such a buzzword. It's such a thing that everybody wants, and yet it doesn't seem like we're making a lot of progress, does it? And I will tell you that when I think about that, when I think about, you know, how can I pastor college students, what do they need to know? They need to know about community. But I, I look at myself and my own life and I say, what do I have to tell them? I don't know very much about community either. But God does. Because the creator is the lawgiver. And he has designed us to live in a certain way. And it's important to understand that. Now, I put some stuff on this outline that I'm not possibly going to get to. Um, it's all right. Um, there's, some, there's some huge challenges to community in our day in our age, and I'll let you read that because I think I've I fleshed it out pretty well. But but I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. The, the idea of kind of finding community is really difficult, and there are all kinds of forces that make that difficult in our culture. But I will tell you the one that I think is one of the chief chief problems for us finding community. It's this tension that we all live in. I don't know if you realize it or not. But at one level, everything in our culture screams to us, basically, you are what you make of yourself. Be free. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. In other words, individualism is rampant. It's shoved down our throats in every sort of way. And so here we have this sort of one level, we believe that, we buy that, we think You know, even the way we approach community sometimes is I want to find a community that will meet my needs. And so we have this dilemma because the problem is living in community requires that you sacrifice individual freedom. You can't do it any other way. I can tell you I've been married now eight years. And, um, oh, it's like, yes, it's like, yeah, it's eight. Um, Eight years. And still, I think one of the most difficult things for me is just thinking about Wendy when I make decisions, whether it's decisions about my money or my time, commitments that I make, just realizing that I'm not an individual person. Let me tell you, it's a lot more deeply in your heart than you realize. And until you start to fight against it, you don't realize how committed you are to your own individual preferences. And yet, we long for community. And, and it seems like, the world doesn't tell us, I don't think, that you have to give up individual freedom to be in a community. It's like that with anybody. If you want to have a friendship, you have to sacrifice some of your alone time, right? You have to sacrifice. And, and, and so, as we come to the Ten Commandments, not only will we see a design, but I think, I think in the Ten Commandments we see a picture, we see a shadow of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And the reason that's important is this. One of my professors in seminary used to say, the real problem in Christian ethics, I said this this morning if you were at the convo, the real problem in Christian ethics, how we should live, is not so much figuring out what to do. It's not. It's really not that complicated to read the Bible and figure out what we're supposed to be doing. The real problem is finding the courage to do it. And if all we're going to do in looking at the Ten Commandments is find more things that we're supposed to be doing, it's not going to help very much. I will tell you, if all you ever do when you read the Bible or when you go to church and hear sermons or, you know, hang out with Christian friends and do Bible studies, if all you ever hear is more details about what you're supposed to do, but you never have your eyes open to see Jesus, you won't last at this very long. I have to tell you, the, the reason that we want to open up the scriptures is not just so that we can find out more and more stuff about what we need to do. That's important. But Jesus himself said that all of the scriptures speak about me. Jesus himself said that to some people that were really not understanding who he is and what he was here to do, he's like, "Read, haven't you read Moses? Moses speaks about me. He's talking about me. If you missed me, you didn't understand what he was saying. We don't want to be people like that. We don't want to read the Ten Commandments and miss Jesus. So part of my job is to try and help us understand how does this connect to God and how does this connect to Jesus? And so with that as an introduction, let's dig into these five words. Five words. Who is the God that speaks these five words? I am I guess it's six words in it. I am the Lord your God. A couple points. Not not complicated points, but points that we need to need to remember as we start this series. He is the God who speaks. God gives an introduction to the Ten Commandments for a very good reason. He does not start out with, have no other gods before me. Though I will tell you, you know, one of my kids brought home a little poster of the Ten Commandments from something they were doing in Sunday school, and it doesn't start with the prologue. It starts with, have no other gods before me, which is important, and God said that, and we're going to talk about that, but it's not the first thing that God says when he gives the Ten Commandments. But people are always cutting off the prologue, and when you do that, you end up taking these things that are connected to the story of God's people and the character of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You disconnect all that stuff from the Ten Commandments, and you make them these timeless, abstract, moral principles, and you really end up distorting what they're about. We don't want to do that. So we're going to talk about the prologue tonight, and then tomorrow or next week we're going to talk about the context of the story. How, how do we get to this point in the story? This is Exodus chapter 20. How did we get there? So tonight we talk about the context. Who is the God who speaks these words? And then next week, where, what's the story that leads up to this? And then we dig into the Ten Commandments. So who is the God who speaks? You need to know that this is not the first time that God spoke. Exodus 20 is not the first thing God had to say. I assume a lot of you know that. But if you don't, you need to know that. This is not... God didn't just sort of speak to his people as they were, you know, sitting at the bottom of this mountain. Hey, here I am, and now I've got something to say to you. No, God, the Bible says that God brought all of this creation into being by speaking. He is a God who, in his very essence, desires and longs to reveal himself, not just for the heck of it, but for the purpose of relationship. So the God who speaks these Ten Commandments is the Lord, your God, A God who speaks, who has spoken before and will speak again. This is not the last word that God has to say either, and that's good news. There is a last word that God speaks. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1, says that in various times and through various men, God spoke to our forefathers. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And the the Bible in the book of Hebrews says that the culmination of God speaking is in Jesus, the living word. So God is going to continue to speak, and all of His speaking is leading up to that speaking that he's going to do through his Son. That's why we want to connect this part of what God says to what he said before and what he says after. It's not just a disconnected little statement or little conversation of God. It comes in a context, and it comes from one who delights to reveal himself. He still speaks through the creation, actually. Psalm 19 says that the creation, the heavens pour forth speech that God is actively preaching at everybody who lives on this earth. He's not just sort of up there in heaven, sort of twiddling his thumbs, wondering what he can do to get people to believe in him. God has not left himself without a witness, the Bible says. He is talking to us. Everything that is, everything that you will study about in school, everything that you will use to be creative or to, to do athletics or whatever it is that you're into, every bit of it, is stamped with meaning because God spoke it into being. Now, of course, one of the problems, and we're going to talk about this in the pop culture seminar, is we often try to make the things that God created to say something, we try and make them say something else. God says, I created work for you to glorify me and to be able to be a creative uh, steward um, made under me to serve me and be dependent upon me. We take work and we say, this is how I'm going to build my own kingdom and establish independence from God. It's like Bart Simpson says in his, his prayer, Lord, we pay for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. See, we want to make work say that, but God says it means something else. And the thing is, the one who made the laws is the one who made you. And when you break God's laws, they break you. They have to, because the one who has revealed himself through his word is also the one who's revealed himself even through your very making. In other words, God has revealed himself not just through his speaking, but through his creating, And that as his law, the Ten Commandments, reveal his will and his design for his creation, so do you. In other words, you fit with what God says in the Ten Commandments. You were made for this. So God is one who speaks. He's preaching at us. And it's important to know that the Bible is the record of his speaking. While it was written through various people at various times over several thousand years, it is a consistent, unified voice speaking a consistent word to mankind. You will see, actually, in our UF, we do quite a lot of uh, working through the Old Testament, because my my experience with students at Belmont, a lot of people who come from Christian backgrounds don't understand the Old Testament or how it fits together. And thus, and practically, if you look at the Bible of somebody who's been a Christian for a while, you know you can see like dirt on the edges of just a little tiny part of it. In other words, we have a Bible within a Bible. We don't effectively know how to read the Old Testament. And so we wanna we wanna spend a lot of time because God has said a lot of things that are important things. And he speaks to man because he's a personal God who created men and women to be in a relationship with him. His world, his word reveals who he is. Now not exhaustively. There's this wonderful verse in Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty nine that says, What God has revealed belongs to us, but what he's kept hidden belongs to him. God has not told us everything in his word. We should humble ourselves uh, before him because of that. Uh, but the fact is, the tragedy is, as most of you know, mankind has not listened to God's word. We've rebelled against him. We've thought that we knew better um, how things would work. And yet, here's, here's what I want you to get tonight about the God who speaks the Ten Commandments. Again, this is Exodus 20. If you know the story of how God created Adam and Eve, how he walked with them in the cool of the day, talked with them, enjoyed rich relationship with his people, yet they turned away from that. They rejected all of that. The Bible should have ended right there. That should have been the end of the story. We should have a Bible that's Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then it's done. God said, in the day that you eat of this Fruit, the day that you rebel against me and do not live in the way I created you to live, you will die. And yet, while death entered the world, God did not give up on his plan to have rich relationship with his people. And even in the curse that he pronounced because they had disobeyed him, he gave this promise of hope that there will come one who will crush The head of the serpent. A seed, the seed from your womb will crush the head of the serpent. It took a long time for that promise to be realized. But do you understand that God never wavered in his commitment to that promise? And what we have in the Ten Commandments is part of God keeping his promise. So it's actually interesting to think about it this way. When you read the Ten Commandments, not only do you get a better picture of what we've lost, but you get a picture of what God has promised to restore. If you read the Ten Commandments and you begin to let your imagination run wild, what would it be like to be in a community that lived this way? It's coming. And the church is to be the first taste of that for a world that is dying to know that what we were made for will be brought to completion one day. We can't just tell him. We have to be it. It's what God has made us for. And I pray that as we study the Ten Commandments, that will begin to happen to us. He still speaks. He still speaks. It's good news. God continues to speak. And two more points on this. He's the Lord, your God. Now notice this. He's the Lord. God claims universal supremacy. He doesn't say, I'm one of many gods but I'm one who particularly likes you guys, so worship me. Now he says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. God is not ashamed, God is not ashamed to not be a fan of pluralism. He never has been. That doesn't mean that he's not excited about creating a whole world of people from every race, tribe, tongue and nation. That was his plan. He's excited about that. That's his plan for his church. It'll be made up of an incredible diversity of people, but he is the Lord. He is the Lord. He's not just any God. He is the Lord. Now, if you're looking at this in the Bible, you'll see it's capitalized, L-O-R-D. You know that when in the Old Testament they have all capitals, that's because it's translating there the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the covenant God. In other words, God, the, the God who speaks these Ten Commandments is the God who wants to relate to his people personally. He's told them his name. He's given them his name. This is how you know who I am. Now think about that's a really a remarkable thing. We take it for granted. Well of course we know his name. No. That's a remarkable thing that God would give his name to his people. And God's people should never be content, you see, with a general sense of, Oh, he's God. No, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's the You know, El Shaddai, he's, you know, Jehovah Rapha, the the Lord our healer. There's all these wonderful names that the Lord reveals himself by. He is the Lord, the covenant God, the God who has bound himself to his people, said, I will be your God, you will be my people. He said that a number of times before Exodus chapter 20. It's what the Bible calls the covenant. The covenant is God saying, I will pledge myself to be your God, and you should live before me as your people. And the Ten Commandments are another expression of that. But what you need to understand is the God who speaks this is a God who is personal, is a God who reveals, and a God who has bound himself to his people. He is the Lord, last point, your God. See this, you've got to keep these two things together. He is the Lord. He's not just your God, and then these people here can have their God. He is the Lord, your God. You see that? He's the supreme God who has bound himself To you. This is not, you know, just an Israelite God. As a matter of fact, here at Exodus 20, when God gives the Ten Commandments, do you know that there were Egyptians with them? When Israel left Egypt, there were some Egyptians who went right along with them. So it's not just an ethnic Israeli group of people that he's speaking this to. He's pledged himself to the children of Abraham by faith. And he says, I am your God. And it's important to see these two phrases together. The reason James says that the law is the law of perfect freedom is because the one who gave the law, the one who is the Lord, sovereign over all things, is your God. He's pledged himself to you. And I guess the way I would, I would say this is this wonderful verse, one of my favorite verses of the Bible in Isaiah, where it says, our maker, our, sorry, your maker, I, I mistyped it here, your maker is our husband. So here's the two things I want you to hold, hold, hold together. The the creator is the lawgiver, and your maker is your husband. What that means, I talked already about the creator is your lawgiver and how the revelation of the Ten Commandments fits with what you were made for. But understand this, your maker is your husband means that God himself is not content with just grudging external obedience. He wants your very heart. He wants your love. And that's why the very last of the Ten Commandments, do not covet it would be really strange if, if, if we had a law against coveting. We don't have a law against coveting in this country. We don't have laws. We try to have some laws about hating other people, but only if it spills over into speech or into actions. But there's no law against internal heart attitudes. There is in God's kingdom. Because God is not content with just modifying behavior. And gosh the Christian witness to the world would be so much richer if Christians understood that, wouldn't it? God is not content with us just modifying our behavior and putting on a smiley face. God wants our very heart. He says, "I created you for myself to be the only way to say it, think of God as creator, lawgiver, and lover, because he reveals himself as all three. And finally, how does this connect to Jesus? This a conclusion here tonight. We're going to talk about this more in the weeks to come. But let me just say now, Jesus is proof of God's commitment that what he has spoken in these Ten Commandments, he is going to bring about with his people. Jesus is proof of God's commitment to never backing down from his commitment to have a people for himself. When God speaks these words, the Ten Commandments, they are a revelation of his love and his commitment to make a people like he wants. And he's going to do it. And here's what I would say. Think of it this way. Jesus is the way, the supreme way, that God says, I made you. Jesus is the way God says, I made you. I made you for glory. Do you want to know what you were made for? Look at the life of Jesus. There has never been a more honest, authentic, passionate life. And it's what you were made for. This is really helpful to me when I was, really struggling to know even how to feel emotions. And somebody said, why don't you just read the Bible and the stories of Jesus and look at how he feels things and pray that God would help you start to feel like a true human being should feel. Jesus is the way God says, this is what I made you for. It's not just abstract. It's fleshed out for us, literally. Jesus is the way God says, I give you my law for your good and for your freedom." because there has never been someone like Jesus who kept the law perfectly from the heart, who said, my meat and drink is to do the will of my Father. And he lived, again, the most authentic free life ever. If you doubt whether the law of God is what you were made for, look at Jesus. It's how he lived. And he said, it's what gave me my deepest joy. It was my meat and drink to live this way. Jesus is the way God says, I love you. The supreme way God, I mean, Jesus says it. Greater love hath no man than he who would lay down his life for his friends. Yet Jesus' love is even greater than that because he dies for us, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, while we were yet sinners. And while he was being scorned and tortured, he cries, Father, forgive them. Understand this. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. He enjoyed. Can you imagine what it would be like to actually live the way you were made? I mean, I was reading a little book to my, my little boys about Babe Ruth, and it was, it was a real kind of strange book. It was kind of poetic, which is strange for a kid's book, like really kind of ethereal poetry. And it talked about sort of that sound and that feel when you hit a baseball and it gets that sweet spot just right. And it has this soft, kind of spongy feel. Do you guys know? That, there's nothing like, you just feel, this is what this is supposed to be about. Jesus felt that all the time. And yet he gave it up. Jesus felt that all the time. He earned it. He deserved to feel, this is right. This is what I was made for. Because he resisted temptation. And it got harder and harder the longer he lived to resist temptation. Yet he still did it. And then, at the very end of his life, he gives it all up. And instead of enjoying the blessedness, the sense of this is what I was made for, to bask in my Father's glory, instead he hangs on a cross and says, Father, where are you? Where did you go? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the way God says, I love you. Because he was the only one who actually deserved and enjoyed what it meant to live a sinless life, perfectly living the law of God, and yet he willingly gave it up so that you could begin to feel what it feels like. Now, I'll tell you, the only way that we're going to be a countercultural community that will try to live the Ten Commandments is if every time we look at them, we see Jesus lived this, and he gave it up. The only thing that will change your heart is to see Jesus as more beautiful and believable than all the other ways that you think you should live. And that's what I hope that that RUF will be about for you this semester. It's what I hope it will be for me, because I come to you as somebody who needs my sanity restored every week as well. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. How can we thank you? I, I wish I had stronger words. Thank you seems so pitiful in light of what you've done. Lord, to think, I can't even imagine what it must have felt like to live the life I was made for. We get tastes of it, Lord, when we get to use our gifts or we feel like this is a good fit for me, this job or this major or uh, whatever. But, Lord, what Jesus experienced and then that he gave it all up for us so that we could begin to experience what we were made for, Lord, we thank you. and we pray, Lord, that we would not take it for granted. We pray, Lord, that it would hit us, that to live disconnected from you and the way you made us to live is dehumanizing. And there are those of us here tonight that feel less than human, because of the ravages of sin and the brokenness of this world. We pray, Lord, that you would restore our hope, that you would restore our faith in your commitment to make things right, to bring about this community that you describe in the Ten Commandments. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for your spirit. And we ask all this in